deeply struggle with. And we're being encouraged to read together. That is, engaging in guided conversations about what we're reading in small group Bible studies. Immersed Kingdoms really presents the story of Israel uh, from its conquest of Canaan in the book of Joshua through its struggle to settle the land in the books of Judges and Ruth to the establishment of Israel's kingdom which ends in forced exile recorded for us in Samuel Kings. The nation of Israel is really commissioned to be God's light to the nations, but we discover that they fall to division and then foreign conquest as they uh, reject God's rule. This is what we are reading these days, immerse kingdoms. And today I want to focus in on a Bible character that really dominates the Immerse Kingdom's week four reading plan. And namely, this is the Bible character, David. And he is such a complex human character, just like you (laughs) and just like me. People are complex, and David is a complex character. Uh, He's full of trust in God. And yet at the same time, he can also be uh, full of control as he orchestrates the murder of Uriah. He can be full of morality, religious morality, as he upholds Saul as the king of Israel, God's anointed king. And yet he is also full of immorality as he commits adultery with Bathsheba courageous, skilled warrior, a passionate worshiper of Yahweh, of of God. This is David. Today we focus on the topic of David's repentance, uh, leading, uh, leading to him receiving God's forgiveness and restoration. But before we move to David's story in our primary text for today, I want to share just a few verses from the Gospel of Matthew. This is chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And this is actually about the birth of Jesus Christ. Mary hears from an angel that she will become pregnant, even though she is a virgin. And when her fiancé Joseph hears this news... uh, He doesn't get it, and I can relate with that. So God sends an angel to Joseph to clarify with these words. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This name Jesus, it means the Lord saves And this is why God sent Jesus to us, to save us. Uh, And through faith in his person and in his work, we receive the forgiveness of sin, as well as the gift of an abundant life here and now, as well as an eternity with God. And I always want to say that, that if there's anyone here who wants to know more 
about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means uh, to, to live into this. How does it look in your daily life? Please, please see me today at the end of our worship service, and I'd love to have further conversation with you. I think the gift of an abundant and meaningful life, I think here and now, uh, is attractive to us because the truth of the matter, and we were alluding to it even a little earlier in our worship service, is that life in this broken and sin-scarred world is so often filled with disappointment and pain and regret. In the last couple of weeks, been able to do some traveling, was at a conference in Chicago area, and just had some broad conversations with people from our larger community, but even in other parts of the country. And, and I just hear people saying different things, you know. Uh, I had several just confide, confide in me, our marriage is really strained right now. Things are, are frayed, about ready to break. We're, we're struggling in our marriage. Had another conversation at a conference for pastors. Someone sharing with me, I can't believe our child is, is battling this addiction. And, and so uh, hearing these things in the last couple of weeks, um, there's, a, there's a verse to, of Scripture that, that I, I want to just lay before us this morning that I think really helps us to address the disappointment and the pain and the regret that, that we can indeed experience in this world that is, that is scarred by sin, that's, that's broken. It actually comes from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And here, the Apostle Paul is describing two different types of sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. With godly sorrow, we say, God, I've, I've broken my relationship with you. Please forgive me. I turn back to you. I, I repent. And repentance leads to salvation and leaves no regret. And then, in grateful response to God's forgiveness in our lives, uh, we seek to repent and ask forgiveness from those we have sinned against. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And many carry worldly sorrow. Someone will say, I'm, I'm sorry that I thought or said or did that. I'm, I'm such a terrible person. I, I know a growing number of people, people that I care deeply about, who struggle with worldly sorrow, uh, self-hatred, deep shame, regret, leading to depression. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I think as the the cover on the worship program this morning uh, very aptly puts it, of all the people I have had to forgive, I have been the hardest. By God's grace, 
may we be a people who are moving away from worldly sorrow toward godly sorrow. From, from sorrow that brings death to a sorrow that brings repentance, leading to salvation, leaving no regret. We turn to David. And I have to tell you, at this point in history, David has a lot going for him. Courageous, skilled warrior, anointed by Samuel as king over Israel, unprecedented military victory. Then we read that in the springtime, when kings typically go off to war, David did what? He stayed behind in Jerusalem. He disengaged from what he was called to do, and he's back in Jerusalem, disengaged, maybe even bored, and David makes a big mistake. David has an adulterous affair with a woman named Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. David finds himself trapped, wondering, how do I get myself out of this predicament? And so he decides to bring Bathsheba's husband, David's trusted friend, a mighty warrior named Uriah the Hittite, back to Jerusalem from the battlefront. David wines and dines uh, Uriah and encourages him, strongly encourages him to go home and be with Bathsheba, hoping that they will lay together in the biblical sense of the term. Bathsheba's pregnancy attributed to Uriah's home visit. But Uriah is a loyal, faithful soldier and warrior. He refuses to go home. And so the plot thickens and we read about this. David ultimately ordering Uriah to the the front line of a fierce fight. And Uriah exposed to the enemy, kind of set up exposed to the enemy, dies in battle. David essentially issues Uriah's death sentence. Bathsheba has a baby boy from this adulterous affair. This baby boy becomes deathly ill. David's heart breaks for this sick, for his sick newborn child. And we read that he fasts for seven days and weeps to God Uh, This isn't my child's fault, David is pleading with God. It's mine. Spare his life, please. And on the seventh day, David receives the tragic news that his young son is dead. And David carries the disappointment and the pain and the regret. David carrying worldly, worldly sorrow, self-loathing, deep shame. He understands that His adulterous affair has ruined a marriage. It has ended the life of a loyal warrior and a trusted friend, as well as the life of his newborn son. And amidst all the pain and the sin and the death swirling in around David's life at this time, God is still present. God is desiring David's repentance leading to forgiveness and salvation, David has an important choice to make. 
in the midst of all the sin and death swirling in and around and through his life at this time. And so what does David do? What do we do in these types of situations? Well, as we go to our text, we learn first and foremost, we give it up to God. We give it up to God. We offer our disappointment, our pain, our regret, our self-loathing and shame. We offer it up to God. We give it up to God after fasting and weeping. After the death of his newborn son, we read this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. Then David got up from the ground. And after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. He got up and he cleaned up and he went to church, maybe just like some of us today. This is what David did. He, he turned toward God. He, he sought the Lord. Give it up to God. Uh, we can really turn, I think, one of three places when we find ourselves in the midst of disappointment and in the midst of pain and regret. We, we, can, we can turn inward. We can say, I can't believe that I thought or I said or I did that. I'm a, I'm a terrible person. We can turn inward. Sometimes we can turn outward, and people do turn outward. They turn to other people and, and ask them to, to validate us. Tell me I'm not that bad of a person as we turn outward. That my position or my home or my car or my clothes make me who I am. And if you don't do that, then move out of the way because we want to grab outward for, for something to hold on to, maybe even consume and take into us, uh, grabbing it from the outside, putting it on the inside to numb us, to take away the disappointment and the pain and the regret that we feel. We can turn inward. We can turn outward. Or we can turn upward. We can turn vertically toward God. God to be the source of our peace in the midst of of difficulty. What does David do? What do we do? We give it up to God. Then David got up from the ground and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Next, we notice that David accepts what cannot be changed. David accepts what cannot be changed. 2 Samuel chapter 12 uh, again, beginning in the second half of verse 20 down to 23. We read, Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child's dead, you get up and eat. And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So we see here, David accepts the fact that there's 
nothing that he can do to change what had happened. Uh, Some continue to symbolically fast and weep and mourn. I know in my own life, sometimes I symbolically fast and weep and mourn for something that, that happened long ago and it cannot be changed. What I thought cannot be unthought. What I said cannot be unsaid. What I've done cannot be undone. When the leaves fell off my tree in October, I did not pick them up from the ground and duct tape them back onto the tree, assuming that they were going to come to life again. What, what has happened has happened. Before, before we can move forward, oftentimes we need to begin by accepting what cannot be changed. The story goes like this. There were two monks traveling together who came up to a raging river. Maybe it was in Issaquah. And there was a woman beside the river who wanted to get across. She was afraid that the current would be too strong for her. And the older monk looked on at the younger monk, knowing exactly what he was thinking. And the older monk warned, no, no, you cannot do that. Remember, you cannot let the skin of a woman touch you. It could cause you to have impure thoughts. The younger monk, though, full of zeal, looked on with a desire to help. And, and he said to the woman, can I, can I help you across? She said, yes, please. And so she locked arms with him. And he led her across, stabilizing her against the force of the water. And when they got to the other side of that raging river, she threw her arms around him and planted a big wet kiss on his cheek and said, thank you. Thank you for helping me. And the older monk looked at the younger one in disgust. I cannot believe you let that happen. And then the two went on walking along on their journey. They walked along for hours and miles and Miles and hours, and the older monk was too upset to even speak. Finally, after hours and miles of travel, the older monk said, I, Again, I can't believe you let the skin of that woman touch you. And the younger monk, with a surprise look on his face, said, I left her hours ago and miles ago, but you're still bringing her right along with you here in your heart and in your mind, and in your soul. In order to move forward with God's peace, uh, we accept what cannot be changed. As we continue reading in this story, this portion of David's story, uh, we also discover that David, by God's grace alone, is able to focus on what is left and not lost. David, by God's grace, is able to focus on what is left and not lost. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Uh, 
I wonder, did the pain of David ever losing that first child ever go away completely? And the answer is, I don't think it did. David is only human as we are human. I'm sure there was some pain, residual pain from the loss of that child. I know it. God does not magically change the past for David. But instead, God brings something new. More specifically, God brings someone new, namely Solomon. And so we focus on what and who is left, not what or who is lost. Again, over time, with the leading and the presence of the Holy Spirit by God's grace. There's a famous story uh, from the 1929 Rose Bowl, University of Georgia against California, and there was a player for Cal by the name of Roy Regals who made an amazing hit. He forced a fumble, and Regals picked up the ball, but he was so disoriented from the impact of the hit that he began running the wrong direction. And finally, after 65 yards, one of his own teammates tackled him at the two-yard line. The mistake ended up leading to a score for Georgia, so Regals went into halftime completely defeated and deflated. At the end of the halftime, the coach said, everybody uh, that started the first half back on the field to start the second half, Regals had started in the first half, and everybody else ran out in the field except Regals. He said, coach, I can't go back out there. I'm I'm the laughing stock of football. I'm embarrassed. And the coach said, Regals, you're my player. You made a mistake. You're forgiven. Get out on the field. And Roy, wrong way, Regals, played like a man, that's what they call him, played like a man absolutely possessed in the second half. He was on a mission leading Cal to a victory in that Rose Bowl. What was the change in his heart and his mind from defeat to victory? What was the change in the transformation that occurred? I think there are two things at play here. Forgiveness and a second chance. Why did God come to us in the person of Jesus Christ? Forgiveness and a second chance. Uh, We've all made mistakes in the past. We've thought and we've said and we've done what we later regret. Please don't die there. Worldly sorrow, it leads to death. But godly sorrow leads to life. This portion of King David's story is all tied to the larger covenant promises of God to the people of Israel and ultimately to us. And so as I continue this morning, I want to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 6, and and read this portion of a genealogy. And Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we have a genealogy. We have a, a lineage. 
recorded all the way down to the birth of Jesus. And so here in this genealogy, even in this portion of this verse, we see the story of David's fall and his restoration. And so with this thought in mind and with this text in mind, I want to go back to the verses that I read at the beginning of my message today. Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. All this took place, dare I say, including David's adultery with Bathsheba. All this took place, including the plan to murder Uriah and his tragic results. All this took place, even the death of David and Bathsheba's first son and the disappointment and the pain and the regret that came right along with it. All this took place, David's repentance and God's forgiveness. All this took place, the conception and the birth of Solomon, all the way to the miraculous conception and birth of Jesus. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. All this is the work of our loving God who came first to us in the person of Jesus, who continues to come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit and through the Word. All this is the work of our loving and grace-filled God who encourages us to repent and turn upward, offering us forgiveness and a second chance. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your story woven from the Old Testament into the New. And God, as as people of the book, I pray that you would continue to just encourage us and challenge us and and, and lead us more deeply into your word and, and an understanding of it and an application of it to our lives. We continue our worship now by returning an offering. And with this act of worship, God, we are declaring all that we have and are. It's all a gift from you. So we return a portion to you now. We ask, God, that you would take these gifts, that you would bless them and use them. We pray, God, your kingdom continue to come and your will continue to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.